I'd like us to turn this morning to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, and reading at verse 14. Galatians 6 at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There used to be a time when we would talk about aspects of Christianity such as works righteousness or faith righteousness or even prayer righteousness. Thinking that somehow that by engaging in such activities we could please God. To bring him on our side by what we did. But in reality it's all a works righteousness. And Paul in his letter to the Galatians really is dealing with self-righteousness in many of its aspects but particularly in our hope and our aspirations that we can somehow please God by what we do and what we achieve in this world now Paul sets the tone for his epistle in chapter 2 and at verse 19 where he says For through the law I died to the Lord, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he's setting there the tone of this epistle. It's not at the beginning. Uh, but it's there. It's very prominent in showing us where Paul's hope, where Paul's life in Christ really lies. When he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the next chapter, Paul immediately begins to castigate the Galatians for their lifestyle and for their change in belief where he says oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you who has turned your mind round having begun in the truth are you now going to continue in a lie before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly or plainly portrayed as crucified let me ask you Did you receive the Spirit by the words of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so he gets right down to the the very crux of the matter and says, it is by faith you shall be justified. It is not what you do, it's not how you live, it's not the great works of wonder you might plan to do later on in life. It is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in this same chapter, he talks about what Christ 
has achieved for us in being made a curse. But he says, the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so we have here again and again, and, the, and there's no examples of it throughout this letter to the Galatians, where Paul lays the foundations that is, is only by faith, only by receiving and resting upon Christ alone, that salvation shall be ours. But to return to our text, how and why can Paul say, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? We should remember the sort of man that Paul is, or was. You remember him writing to the Philippians when he says, for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. In Second Corinthians there, he, he talked about all the things he could have boasted of, all the things in his life that he had done for the church, and yet he counts them as nothing. He would boast only in his weaknesses, the things that he failed to do. For it is when we acknowledge our weaknesses, it's when we know that we are weak. It is then that we are strong in Christ Jesus. When we remember that Paul at one time was a, a man given to, to much boasting, what mattered to Paul is related here in Philippians 3, where he says, Though I myself might have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has confidence, I more. Once again, he boasts of, of his Jewishness. Once again, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, as to the law of Pharisee. And that's where the crux of the matter is. He was a Pharisee. He thought that he could somehow do God's works by what he did, how he accomplished, and how God would somehow be in his debt by what he accomplished here in this world. And it is only by the mercy of God in Christ, as God met him on the road to Damascus, that he was brought to see that all his boasting, all his, his law righteousness, meant nothing whatsoever. And what had mattered to him in the past, his Jewishness, or his morality or his wisdom, that meant absolutely nothing at all in his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, after his conversion, Paul now has another boast. And his boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, But whatsoever gain I had, I now count as loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I press toward the mark for that prize. I count all things but loss for the knowledge of him. I, I seek only that fellowship and that relationship in Christ which is through his cross, by through what he accomplished. And so we find ourselves here with, with a new Paul, with new ideals, with new aspirations, with new desire to be in fellowship with his Father in heaven. And now his boasting is of another nature, not of what he's done, not of what he accomplished, not of what he suffered for the cross of Christ or for the faith, uh, but his boasting is of Christ alone. His boasting is of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about of all the things that Paul could have boasted of concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's remarkable that he thinks of the cross as the greatest thing he can boast about. It's a remarkable boast when we think of what the cross represented. It represented disgrace, shame, as someone who is an outcast, as someone who was cursed of God. And it, it represented also punishment from God. It was a, a symbol of alienation between God and man. He was, he was cursed. He was placed on that tree as we saw earlier on in the letter to the Galatians. And, and that's what Paul is boasting about. He's boasting about uh, this Christ who was on a cross. Isaac Watts has, has penned words which encapsulate this text in 614. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God. And all those things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. So how can Paul say he boasted about the Lord Jesus Christ? We could think that he should have boasted about his sinlessness. Uh, we could think that he boasted about his miracles, the great works of wonder done amongst the people who were asking for more signs and wonders. We could think about him raising the dead and healing the blind and the lame. But he boasts in nothing these things about Christ. And isn't that which is brought to the forefront of our, of our view as Paul speaks about Christ and what he's accomplished for us and for our salvation? He speaks about uh, the cross. But how can he say that? Because when he thought of the greatest thing about Christ, he thought about the cross. Well, in a few words, and we'll expand on it, is the fact that it deals with our sin. The cross deals with the sin that has brought us into a, a wrong relationship with our Father in heaven. It deals also with the anger which that sin has brought into being. God's wrath and curse against sin both in this world and that which is to come. And also, it, it deals with the curse that is ours, which our Lord Jesus Christ died for us and became a curse for us. 
So first of all, on the cross, Christ deals with our sin. It deals especially with Paul's sin. But in a broader aspect, it deals also with our sin. Because the cross is penal. It is a penalty that is exacted upon Christ for us and for our salvation. It is something that he did so that we might be spared the punishment that is ours. Paul, at the beginning, sought answers to religion. He wasn't someone who was an ignoramus. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Someone who was very deeply schooled in religion in the Old Testament and all that belonged to the Old Testament teaching and the promise of the Messiah. But all he learned in the Sanhedrin, all he tried to activate his life about morality and decency, all these didn't bring him peace. It only brought him a, a greater feeling of his own unworthiness in the sight of God. But as long as he was a Pharisee, he was satisfied with that. That's the lifestyle he was satisfied. He thought he was engaging in that which was God-pleasing. And that's the same for, for all who are Pharisees at heart, that by doing the things we do, coming to prayer meetings, coming to church, engaging in that which is beneficial perhaps for society, we are somehow doing God's will, and somehow that is going to bring us onto the right standing as regarding our salvation with our Heavenly Father. But in all that he sought to achieve and engage with in religion, he failed. He failed miserably. And then he is brought to see on the road to Damascus the centrality of Christ and the centrality of the, the cross of Christ. And to, to bring him to know that with, without Christ and without the cross, there is no hope for him or, or for the world. The man who was in the form of God, the man who thought him not robbery to be equal with God and yet made himself of no reputation, came to this earth to seek and to save the lost and to give his life a ransom for the many. He is the one who does all things for us and for our salvation. It's not that we achieve anything in building the basis or the foundation of that relationship. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ, only by what he has accomplished, and only what he has done, that we are brought to know God as our Father who is in heaven. You think of those in the past who have been very like that. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. You're a man sent from God for no man can do these things that you do except God be with him. Nicodemus here sees that there is something different about Christ. At the end of the Lord's life, Nicodemus is one of those who are there taking the body for burial. We can think of Martin Luther the one who has been accredited with the Reformation in Europe. He was a monk. He was part of the Roman Catholic Church. He was part of that system which advocated 
righteousness by works, righteousness by doing things, somehow by, by bringing man's achievements into the balance of God's works of wonder done for us. Martin Luther, in climbing up the steps of St. Peter's Basilica, doing his penance on each step as he goes up, suddenly rises to his feet when he realizes that it is justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that brings us to a saving knowledge of Christ, that brings us that safety and security that is in Christ alone. Well, Paul saw the cross not as a symbol of defeat or weakness or somehow bringing him into subjection to anything, but Paul saw it as a triumph, the greatest triumph this creation has ever seen over sin, over the law, over death, achieves all these triumphs by dying for us by the cross where he endured the wrath of God against sin. And so the cross of Christ deals initially, as I says, with our sin. It deals with the penalty that's due to us, God's wrath and curse. It's, it's all paid by Christ. And that's why Paul boasted about it. As he says in Corinthians, he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's why Paul boasted about it. You know, for all of us, the disobedience of Adam has terrible and awesome consequences. There was a time when God walked with man in the cool of the garden and there was fellowship and there was love and there was togetherness. But when man sinned, when man disobeyed God, when he disobeyed the, the only prohibition that was placed before him, God said in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. And that spiritual death occurred immediately when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden of Eden. And a sword and a cherubim placed at the entrance to bar the way to the tree of life. And that barrier has remained there for all who were out of Christ Jesus. It is only in Christ Jesus that the barrier can be removed. It is only in Christ Jesus that the sword can be thrust into the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way to that tree of life opened for us again. But for those who are out of Christ, uh, there is no way of access. And so the disobedience of Adam has these consequences. The alienation from God. The curse of God. The, the fallen human natures that we all know that we have. And now, for Paul, the cross of Christ displays a remedy. A means whereby we can once again be restored to that fellowship. Once again, we can enjoy the closeness and, and, and the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's through uh, this cross. 
that the cross not only deals with the sin, as I suggested a moment ago, but also deals with the wrath of God, which that sin brings into being. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. And so each and every one of us, because of our fallen human natures, displays sin in our lives, brings that sin into, into open condemnation before God. And so we find ourselves here in this, this place of condemnation. In Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all unrighteousness. If we were to read that chapter, we would see what happens there when God displays his strength and his power and his ability. In the creation of the world, everyone is without excuse as we see around us. The emblems of God's power and God's energy in bringing all things into being and by the power of his word in the space of six days and all very good. God does this by a word. Not by some energy that mankind has somehow devised, but God's own energy, God's power, God's love for mankind in bringing this world into being so that we could be with him throughout the endless ages of glory. And John tells us, God is able to, to propitiate the anger he feels towards the unrighteousness of man. As we read Romans chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, we're told how God withdraws his restraining hand. He gives them over to a reprobate mind. And the world today is, is being filled with, with people whose minds do not know God, do not acknowledge God. And, and that's what a reprobate mind is. It's, it's ignorance of God, a willful ignorance of God. To go our own way and do our own things. But God is able to overcome the blindness and the hatred of God in the hearts of mankind. He does it by the cross. He does it by propitiating the anger. See, the Old Testament, the dispensations, talks about God's anger being dissipated on the mercy seat. In the temple there was the mercy seat in the, on the day of, of atonement. The blood of the, of the sacrificed lamb was sprinkled on that mercy seat. And there it was done every year to show that it hasn't been done, hadn't been filled perfectly. But it was done every year to, to remind people of, of what was required of them. A sacrifice a meeting with God at his place of mercy. But here in Christ Jesus, he is the mercy seat. He is the one whose blood sprinkling covers not only the mercy seat, but all those who would trust in him and believe in him and come to know him as Lord and Savior. For where grace abounds, or where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. No matter where we've been, what we've done, what sort of lives we've lived, there is mercy in Christ Jesus. There is grace with him. There is mercy in the beloved. 
It may have been that we've lived lives without excuse. It may be that as we've looked back over our lives, there are many things that would cause us to blush, things we would not like to admit. But God knows. We are an open book to him. We stand before him as as an open book with every page for him to read. And yet in spite of that, he wants us to know him as God and Savior. He wants us in a, a loving, fellowship-filled relationship with him. Perhaps we can't think of a single reason why God should have anything to do with us in the future. But God does. He wants to be with us. He wants to know us as his own children. As Paul says, and this is a faithful saying, that I am the chief of sinners. That I am the one who has done great things against God, and yet he has brought me to know him. He has brought me to know him as Lord and Savior. And that's where the cross of Christ comes in. It covers sin. It blots out the handwriting of all the sins against us in the great list that is against us in heaven. It blots it out by the shed blood of Christ. It deals with that sin. It deals with with the anger of God. The anger of God against sin. It deals with that as Christ bears that wrath and curse as Christ has made a propitiation for our sins. And the cross also deals with the curse that is due to all those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ has made a curse for us. He was died for us. He was given over to that place where God's wrath and curse were laid on him alone. In Isaiah 53 in the last verses of of Isaiah 53 we have some of these verses which remind us of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All this Christ has achieved for us if only we would make his cross our boast also everything he did was for us despised rejected esteemed cursed of God he achieved experienced and dealt with all that for us 
and for our salvation. So we find that Paul's boasting on the cross deals with all these different aspects of God's argument with us, his, his departure from us. But the cross also displays the defining moment of God's love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's talking about the Father. And that's what the cross does. It defines for us God's great and everlasting love for those who are in Christ Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here is God in Paul's words saying loving me and giving himself for me. Or the hymn writer's words bearing sin and mocking rude in my place condemned he stood. All the wrath, all the condemnation all the mocking, all the ridicule was for us. Not for him not for anything he had done but for what we've done and what we deserved and yet Christ experienced it for us. See, God's love is not being indifferent to sins. That's what people so often tell us today. God could do anything. Why doesn't he just forgive sins? But God's love isn't being indifferent to sin. God's love to mankind is dealing with their sin in Christ Jesus. Love is God becoming the Lamb of God. Love is God bearing the sins of the world in himself, in bearing the cost in himself. We think back again to the, to the, the flood where God says, when I see the bow, I will pass over. Here also in the Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And here also in the cross, when I see the cross, I will pass over. The cross is the defining moment, the defining nature of God's love for us, that he gave his son for us and for our salvation. Love is God becoming the Lamb of God and bearing away the sin of the world. On the cross, God says, I love the world. I love you. How shall we turn away from such words and, and such love? Then we can ask, what effect, what response did Paul give to what he's seen about the cross? What response did Paul give to the cross? Well, we're told he went everywhere preaching the cross. We saw those words in Second Corinthians 
the things he experienced, the things he suffered, the things that he did for the cross, for, for the cross of Christ, for, for the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to Athens. He went to Mars Hill. He went there to be mocked and ridiculed for his faith. He went to Lystra and Derby, to Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia. To all these places he went again and again preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why? Not to achieve some reputation for himself, not so he could be written about in some book down through the centuries, but that God and Christ might be glorified. And that's what our life should be about. That God in Christ might be glorified in us and through us. And so, in all his journeys, he confronted philosophers, confronted atheists, confronted poets with this same message, God forbid, that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and everywhere Paul went with these words they were the forefront of his message the pulpit has, has no business in trying to deal with social or political or commercial aspects of the world in which we live our message is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to do with all our ability to do with all the gifts we've been given to do with every breath that we have. Every preacher must so preach as to know nothing amongst their congregations except Christ and Him crucified. And then just finally and briefly, the cross was the pattern for Christ, for Paul's life. What he saw on the cross and what the cross achieved was to become the pattern for him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He looks at the image of Christ and the example of Christ and says, let this mind be in you. We live in a world very often when we are, we are almost led by the opinions of men and the world in which we live. Paul says, no, he says, let this mind be in you the mind which was in Christ Jesus although he was a son of God although he was equal with God yet he makes himself of no reputation the world is crucified to me he says there in 614 God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He says, I am crucified to the world. The world thought him a fool. At one time he was, he was, a, he was a great example of what a, a young Jewish man should be. He was on the right road. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was a, a Pharisee. He was heading to the top of his career ladder, so to say. Sad fact is, many of us today are also on a career ladder. And very often the ladder is up against the wrong wall. Well, Paul's was. He was on, up against the long wall. He was climbing it, but the wall wasn't the wall uh, that he should have been climbing. 
He says, I am crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. The world thought Paul an idiot for giving up what he had, for the prospects he had in that world, but he he thought nothing of it. I count all things but loss for the excellency, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The world put the Lord outside the city wall and had cried, crucify him, crucify him. That's what what the world thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they thought of Paul when he declared him and and preached him and followed him. And the Christian can expect no more. Often we in the church think that the more we become like the world, the more we will gain the world's applause and the world's acclaim and the more we will attract the world into the church. But the world put the Lord outside the city wall. And Christian lives that think that the world will give them its applause and acclaim will find that that's what the world will do to us. They will put us outside. The Christian can expect no more than what happened to the Lord. Often we think that by the church is going to gain the world's applause by becoming more like it gaining influence, acclaim, the applause of the world as we become more like it. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul's saying. He's saying, expect rejection and mockery and ridicule for your lifestyle, your life choices, for the places you go, for the things that you do, for the fellowship you desire. Paul says the cross should lead us to expect that. Let us instead run the race that is set before us, looking always unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, who with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and so is set down at the right hand of God Paul glorified in the cross because it saved him we also should glory in the cross should boast in the cross because it's the only instrument by which we must be saved All our hope and all our confidence is tied up in the cross of Christ and nowhere else. Because there Christ died for sin and there Christ died that we might be saved. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us then conclude our worship singing to God's praise in Psalm 16. The Scottish Psalter, Psalm 16, on page 216 of the tune Wilshire, at verse 6.
and to me happily the lines in pleasant places fell. Here the inheritance I got in beauty doth excel. We'll sing down just to the end of the verse, Mark 9, that's four stanzas to God's praise. <laughs>